everybody, thank you so much for tuning back into the College Age Movement podcast, or if this is your first time, thanks for checking it out. This week, we are starting a new series entitled, Who Is This Man? And we're going to look at some defining traits of Jesus over the next several weeks, things that he exemplified, things that he challenged within culture, and a lot more. And whether you believe Jesus is the actual Son of God, the Messiah, God in the flesh, etc., 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 or you don't, there's no question that Jesus changed everything. He changed culture. He changed how people were valued. He changed how people worshipped. He was absolutely, unequivocally radical. And we always talk about the fact that we're trying to be a little bit more like Jesus every single day. If you come to College Age Movement on a regular basis, you will hear me say that a lot, is that we are not trying to become Jesus tomorrow, but we want to look a little bit more like him each and every day. So it would probably be a really good thing for us to actually look at some character traits of Jesus, to see some things that Jesus valued and see things that Jesus exemplified. And today I want to look at the trait of compassion. Jesus modeled it in a way that nobody had ever seen before. And we'll see through this series time and time again that Jesus sets the bar and then calls us to strive for the same kind of standards. That while we will never become Jesus, he still wants us to do everything that we can to do the things that he did, treat people the way that he treated people, and exemplify standards that he exemplified. So first... I think that we have to define what compassion is because so many of us would, would hear the word compassion. We would think of like, oh, like compassion, like, oh, but that's, that's not what compassion is. Compassion is actually defined as this sympathetic consciousness of others distress. And that's not the end of it. And if it ended right there, I think we would always say, yeah, like sympathetic consciousness of others distress. Like we are aware of the distress of others. We, we feel bad for them. But that's not where the definition ends. It says this is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate alleviate it, with a desire to alleviate it. It's not just about feeling bad for someone. That is the difference between pity and compassion. There is action in compassion, this desire to alleviate it. There is action in compassion. There was a man by the name of Eusebius who was around uh, several decades after the death of Christ, but he was an early church historian, and he wrote in, in a book called The Church History during the plague of the, uh, of the Roman Empire, and he wrote this. He said, all day long, some of them, them being the Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city a multitude of those withered from famine, and they distributed bread to those people. Eusebius goes on to say that because of their compassion in the midst of the plague, the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians. Such actions convinced them that they alone were pious and, and truly revered and reverence to God. A few decades after Eusebius, the last pagan emperor, Julian the Apostate, this is Caesar, recognized that the Christian practice of compassion was one cause behind the transformation of the faith from a small movement on the edge of the empire to cultural ascendancy. Writing to a pagan priest, he said this, he said, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans, example being the Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. They support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that. And all men see that our people lack aid from us. You see, compassion calls us to get 
it right into the mess with people. It is what Jesus had did for so long. It is what has set Christ followers apart for millennia, and it's what we are called to continue to do. We have compassion. They had compassion because Jesus had compassion. So what I want to do is I want to look at a few verses that talk about Jesus in these situations where he had compassion on the people around him. And the first one is Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 16. And it says this, it says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the casket they were carrying him on and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet had appear- has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. So there's a couple things that is really important for us to understand in this, in this context is this, is that this woman who is crying whose Jesus's heart goes out to. She just lost her only son. It says that she was also a widow. So culturally speaking, she had very little value because her husband was dead and her son was dead. And in that culture, women were not valued. And we'll talk about this later on in the series that Jesus changed everything when it came to the value of women and children. But in this moment, Jesus had so much compassion for her and he didn't want her to have to suffer through being alone. And so he raises this young man from the dead, not only for him to get his life back, but for his mother to get hers back as well. The first point today is this internal reaction turned into external action. Internal reaction turned into external reaction. It says that Jesus's heart went out to her and then he approached the casket and touched it. He did something. There was something tangible, something physical, something measurable that he did in that moment. That There was something that stirred within him that he felt compassion towards her and he was spurred to action. That he wasn't just like, oh, that's a really big bummer. No, he saw the situation and he wanted to do something about it. And I think that we could probably all say that we have seen people or situation situations and have felt pity or sadness. The problem with many of us, and I know the problem with me, is that too often I don't do anything about it. We don't do anything about it. That we are people who feel pity, who feel sorry for people, but we don't feel spurred into action by that sympathy. Jesus knew what he was capable of. And he knew that there was actionable response to the situation, that there was something that he could do. He could respond to it with action and that he could actually fix it. So a question that we should ask ourselves is this, what can I do about it? As I step into this situation, as I see this broken relationship, whatever it may be, what can I do about it? I might not be able to just walk up to a situation and fix it, but I can always do something about it. You might not be able to just walk up to a situation and just fix it, but you can do something about it. If we made it our goal to be a community of people or individuals who take action, a community of response, a community of doing, a community of helping in the name of Jesus, we could change a lot of people's lives. And we could do that on an individual level too, but if if we do it as a community of young people who decide to step in and have actionable response, this city, Billings, Montana, would be changed. The state would be changed. The world would be changed because of what we have decided to do, that we aren't going to sit back and feel bad for people, that we're actually going to step in and be a part of the, the solution. The second point today is this, is that action often carries risk. Action often carries risk. 
It is so important that we do not miss the fact that Jesus broke religious customs to touch the casket of this dead man. That, that he was becoming unclean by stepping into the mess. He was fully aware that the repercussions could have been great, but he knew that this action of helping would outweigh the, ri- outweigh the risk that he was taking. And so many of us do not step into the call of God because we, or step into taking action because ca- it carries too much risk. And, and fear is often the death of so many things that God has asked us to lean into. We aren't called to live a life of fear, but often... We fear that hanging out with those people will be the end of our reputation, or we fear that it will be too hard, the situation is going to be too difficult, or we feel fear failure. I was listening to a sermon recently, and the communicator said this. He said, fear and failure. Failure is formative. That We have to get rid of fear because failure is formative. So the fear of failure isn't something that we should have. The failure forms us into the people that God has called us to be. Oftentimes we can even fear pain or punishment, and there's so many other things that go along with that, but we have to understand that risk is necessary. No great thing was ever accomplished without risk. If we look through the Bible, if we look at the stories of the heroes of the faith, all of them took risks to step into what was what God was asking them to do. At the same time, there was this baseline to Jesus' life. He knew that he was to bring the good news and to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. Everything that he did Everything that he did pointed to that. So if the risk meant that more people hearing about the love of God was going to happen, there was no question that it was worth it. That Jesus took a risk and he, and he put his own well-being on the line, culturally speaking, so that many people would know the love of God. You see, the risk was that people would say, oh, well, what he has has no validity to it because he's breaking Jewish custom. But what actually happens is that people see the miraculous and it says that people followed him. They said that a great prophet has appeared among us. They said that God has come to help his people. So people responded with awe, not with disgust. So we have to to understand that that God has called us to love people well too. That we're not just called to love people, but to show them the love of God ultimately. And we have to, within that calling, ask ourselves, what am I willing to risk in that pursuit? What am I willing to to risk in the pursuit of people knowing Jesus? And I think that, that the answer has to be everything because eternity truly is at stake. That the lives of people, the eternities of people are at stake. So we should be willing to risk everything that we have to make sure that they know that they are loved so much by their creator. You see, risks are about being obedient. They're not about being comfortable. And we have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to be willing to take risks. It's also important that we know that Jesus wasn't reckless. Jesus wasn't reckless. He broke a ton of rules, but he was strategic. And I think it's a reminder for us is that that we're not called to be reckless. We're not called to be belligerent. We're talking about the, the hearts and the eternities of people. And we always have to be aware of that, that we aren't going to be reckless with the lives of other people, with the feelings of other people, with the emotions of other people, with the time of other people. We are going to be so respectful and so diligent to, to use that well. And we are going to communicate love through the way that we treat them and the way that we value them. And it's not about being belligerent, but it's about setting aside our our predispositions and our worries and all of those things and risking our reputations and risking all, all kinds of things, our finances, our, our, comf- our comfort, all of those things, if it means that people get to know the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus.
There's another story in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34, and it says this. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd then rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. So the next point is this, shout all the louder. I don't know where you're at in this moment. Maybe you believe in the compassion of Jesus and you have seen it firsthand, or maybe you feel like God's compassion has just completely missed you. We all have pain that we wish wasn't there. We all have situations that we wish we weren't in. But we're encouraged to be people who believe that God wants to step into our pain, into our suffering, into our confusion, and not only recognize it, not only identify it, but to alleviate it. We are called to be people who shout all the louder. And my encouragement to you today would be this. When the world tells you to be quiet in your pursuit of Jesus, when the world tells you to be quiet in the pursuit of the restoration that you believe that he has for you, shout all the louder. People are going to tell you to quiet down. They're going to say, hey, you believe too much. You have too much faith in a God that might not exist. And the call for us is to shout all the louder. You see, these men knew who Jesus was. They lived in a time where he was physically walking by and they didn't want to miss their opportunity to ask something of him. And I think what we need to remember is that Jesus knew them too. That Jesus knew them on an intimate level in a way that nobody could have ever known them. But they knew who Jesus was. They knew who Jesus was and they didn't want to miss the opportunity to speak to him, to ask something of him. The presence of Jesus is always with you and I. And I think we miss that a lot. I think that we, we think that Jesus is walking by and so many of us say, Man, I, I would maybe consider having a relationship with Jesus, but I feel like I've done too much. I feel like I've missed my opportunity to step into a relationship with Jesus or to ask something of Jesus. And, and I just want to tell you this today. You haven't missed your opportunity. Jesus is still there. He's right there wherever you're at. He is present with you and he's waiting for you to have a conversation with him. But see, this is what happens in this moment. Jesus asks a, con- or asks a question of these men. And he says this, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? This statement, this question hit me super hard. Jesus knew them. He knew their struggles, but he wanted to offer this question. And I think that he asks the same question of you and I. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? The men knew what they wanted. They wanted to see but do we, do we know what God wants, what we want God to do for us? If God was to step into your room right now and say, what do you want me to do for you? Would you be able to clearly answer the question? See, I think the problem with where we are as the big C church right now is that we ask God to, to move in our lives. We ask God to quote unquote show up, but so often we don't actually know how we want him to move. Today, my prayer is that we would be a people with clear direction, that we would know our goals, that we would know our dreams, our aspirations, we would know the relationships that we want affected, and that we would ask God to move within those things. 
that if God in our prayer life was to actually tangibly out loud say, what do you want me to do for you? We would be able to answer that question with confidence. And maybe you don't know. Maybe right now you're like, I don't know what I would say if Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? I think that's perfectly fine. But what I would say is ask God to move in a way that would reveal his will for your life, that he would show you clarity on what he wants you to do. And then you could ask him to move in those specific things. And maybe you're listening to this and you don't believe he even exists, but you're listening anyway. And I'm so glad that you are. And if that's you, maybe you need to just have the question of what do you want me to do for you with a simple ask for him to reveal himself in a way that he hasn't revealed himself before. When I was in high school, I got an incredible opportunity. Uh, Almost on a weekly basis, we just went downtown and we handed out hot coffee to the homeless population. And we rolled around in this like windowless panel van and it was super creepy, but they didn't care. And so we would, we'd pop out with hot pots of coffee and we would just pray for people and we'd give them a cup of joe. And, and I remember talking to this guy named Samson and I'll never forget it, but we, we had a really good conversation. He told me his crazy life story. And I said, Samson, can I pray for you? And he said, no. And I was like, okay, super awkward. I won't pray for you. And then we just kept talking. And, and I said, man, can I please pray for you? I, I just want to pray for you. And he's like, I told you, like, I don't want prayer. So we talked for about five more minutes. And I was like, all right, Samson, you have a great rest of your night. Like, I truly hope it's blessed. And, and I started to walk away and he said, hey, kid. And I turned around and he said, I'll take that prayer. And so I prayed for him, and I can't tell you what I prayed. I was 16. I pr- it probably wasn't eloquent. It probably wasn't anything uh, super amazing. But but I remember as I was praying for him, I had my hand on his shoulder, and he just started to sob, and he started to shake. We got done with the prayer, and he looked at me, and he just goes, what the bleep just happened? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what just happened. And he said, before you prayed for me, I thought God was a myth, and I don't know what I believe about him now. But there's something that just happened, and I'm going to try to figure out what it is that just happened. You see, God shows up in lots of different ways in, for lots of different people, but we have to give him the space. We have to give the opportunity. We have to earnestly and honestly seek him out. He's not going to force himself upon us. He wants us to, to choose to step into relationship with him. So if you're in that place, I would just I would really, really plead with you. Put yourself in a space where you would invite God to speak, that you'd invite God to move and trust that he will do just that. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what do I want God to do for me? What do I want God to do for me? And the last verse I want to look at, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 32 through chapter 5, verse 2. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up to a, up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, there's a simple point here that I want to end with, and that's this together. This will forever be an anchor of this ministry. We are called to do life together. We are called to do life together. Compassion literally means to suffer together, that we would be willing to, to step into it with each other. We will be people who are prone to compassion if we allow others who are compassionate to influence our life. 
So let's be a community that has sympathy and has empathy, but it shouldn't it shouldn't stop there. It should go beyond that. We should be absolutely 100% compassionate, people who are willing to get into the stuff with each other, that we would expose our mess to the people around us so that they would give us their mess too, and that we would do everything that we can to alleviate the distress and the pain and the brokenness of our brothers and sisters, and we would allow them to do the same. We do it because Jesus did it. We do it because Jesus did it. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. If you are in Billings, we always want to encourage you to come hang out with us in person. We believe that we truly want to do this together. We want to be in community. So we meet at at 7 o'clock on Tuesday nights here at Faith Chapel. If not, keep listening to the podcast. Get filled up. We love you guys. We will see you very soon.